Christians follow God's will and stand in obedience to His commands, there is an increasing risk in the world today of consequences that may potentially be unpleasant. So how should we as believers respond to this ever-growing threat? Welcome to A Walk in the Word, where we bring you the Sunday sermons from Providence Baptist Church Gaston's worship services. In this week's sermon, Pastor John Friedrich shows us how to stand firm in the face of persecution for our faith. Let's join in as Pastor Friedrich preaches a message entitled, Facing the Flames, from Daniel chapter 3. All right, well, it's good to be in the Lord's house with you guys this morning as we open up his word and see what he has to say to us. So uh, if you would follow along, as I said, we are in Daniel chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 20, 12 through 20. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. The Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast in the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it won't to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace, province of Babylon. Fiery furnace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before you once again this morning, we are eternally grateful for the opportunity we have to, to worship you, to praise you, to lift your name in song, to hear your word taught, to hear your word preached. Uh, Lord, just open our hearts this morning as we uh, await your word, what you have to say to us. Help us to take these words in and let them take root deep into our lives, Lord, that we might bear fruit accordance to your purposes and your will. And Lord, I know I'm not worthy to stand before these folks to, uh, to be the one to present your word, but if you would, just take away anything that could in any way interfere with the message, pride, distraction, uh, selfishness, whatever it might be, Lord, just take it all away. Uh, Lord, that I might be empty, it might be your vessel that is filled with the Spirit and only speak the words that you've given me. And Lord, as a church, help us to move forward, help us to strive to be 
uh, everything that you have called us to be, Lord. Let us always be focused on serving others. Let us be focused on sharing the gospel, spreading, making disciples, and uh, all the other purposes for which your church was formed, Lord. Let us always be outwardly focused and never be inwardly serving, uh, that we might be self-serving in that sense, Lord. And Lord, as individuals, Help us to always be aware of opportunities to share your gospel, to share your love, your peace, to be your hands and feet, Lord, in every occasion that it presents to us. And Lord, forgive us of our sins and the times that we've chosen to, to use our own methods, to go our own way, to, to lift ourselves above you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're uh, visiting a familiar passage I think that most everybody has probably heard uh, one time or another, particularly in Sunday school. Uh, and even the children are probably familiar with it. Um, familiar to, the, to young and old, uh, Daniel chapter 3 is often seen as teaching us that since God is sovereign, we must put our faith in Him as we stand before the fire, uh, whatever the fire that is that we might be facing. But I think actually the lesson really goes well beyond that. Example that the three uh, uh, Hebrew children gives us shows us not just that we must have faith, but we should also respond in the face of pressure to follow the crowd. Now, I'm going to lay down a little context here so we know the circumstances of what all was going, uh, going on during this time. We Once again, we find the Israelites under Babylonian captivity. So the Israelites are once again uh, in captivity. Oftentimes when we think uh, of our passage today in the story of Daniel, we think it as two separate incidents. We think there's a story of Daniel, then there is a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But in reality, the two were very closely linked. Um, and uh, there, they, we think there may be no real connection. Um, but from, the chapter, from chapter 1 in Daniel, we see that these three were connected at the very start of the captivity. They were uh, familiar to one another, and they were singled out to be groomed as a group of four. And it's interesting, however, that we know that Daniel by his original name, but we don't know the original names of the other three. Before the captivity, we had Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezariah. But it was Babylonian policy under Nebuchadnezzar that all those selected for re-education and special training should have their names changed. So Daniel became Belteshazzar, Hananiah became Shadrach, Mishael became Meshach, and Azariah became Abednego. Now what brought the four into prominence was the inability of the king's magicians, astrologists, and sorcerers uh, to help, them, uh, help him understand a dream. The king got angry that none of his typical assistants could help and assist him in uh, uh, analyzing a dream that he had. So the king demanded that all the wise men of Babylon be put to death. So we see the king is an, uh, an extreme uh, in, re in his responses to things. And apparently the decree the king put forth included our four Hebrew captives as well. But Daniel asked for an audience with the king. And he was able to interpret the dream for him. And as a result, the king made Daniel a high-ranking official. Now Daniel, obviously, not forgetting his, his three buddies, um, <clears throat> asked that they, that they be placed also in positions of prominence within the kingdom. And apparently this, this didn't sit well with some of the Chaldeans. This didn't sit well with some of the, the people that, that were native to the area. They didn't like the fact that these Israelites were being placed in positions of prominence, positions of power, so they conspired to try to get them in trouble. They tried to conspire to try to get, them, uh, get the king to turn against them. 
And Daniel, as we all know, would later face a similar challenge, but under a different king. So imagine the picture here when we find ourselves this morning. The, the people, whenever the music was played, uh, and all manner of instruments, that the minute they hear this music, they were expected to uh, stop what they were doing, whatever they may be doing, stop what they were doing, and worship this huge 40-foot golden statue of the king that had been erected. And this would make it pretty obvious when all the people fell on their face to worship and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were still going about their business, still standing and not falling on their faces to worship. So the king calls all three of them and explains, once again, this is your fate. This is what is going to happen to you if you don't follow my decree, if you don't worship the golden statue whenever this music starts playing. And so, in our passage, we see the dialogue going back and forth between what the king said, the king reminded them of the, the punishment, and then how that the three Hebrew children responded to this. Alright, so that sets the stage for what I want to focus on this morning. And what I want to focus on really here is the reaction of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, in the face of the persecution in the face of realizing that if you don't obey the king in this case, you're going to get tossed in a fiery furnace, meaning you're going to be put to death if you don't follow man's laws as opposed to what God had told them to do. And the first thing we see with them is a confidence in the power of God, a full confidence in the power of God. Now, it was no small thing in that day to defy the king. I mean, imagine if we had uh, that kind of a, a, a hierarchy, a kind of political structure where the king, his word was law. What he said was it. And you did not go against him. And yet we see these three young boys standing firm, standing strong against the decree of the king. Doing so was considered at the time to be an act of rebellion or even treason, so to speak, against the king. And it always carried a very serious punishment. And most times it was execution. And in some cases, a painful and slow execution. Many people today take, it, uh, take a very flippant approach to the laws they're subject to, and it's not uncommon for them to ignore them, particularly if the laws want a small consequence and the chances of being caught are small. But this was a big deal back then. This was not, okay, I got caught speeding, or, uh, you know, so I'm going to have to pay a fine for a ticket, or, you know, this, that, or the other thing. This was huge. This was a big, big deal. It was a direct affront against the king himself. And there was no way that they were going to not be noticed. It was most absolutely certain that people were going to take note of the fact that they were disobeying the king. But the difference here is that obeying the decree of the king, going along with what the king was commanding them to do, would be disobeying the commands of the one true king, God himself. And in these circumstances, civil disobedience is appropriate. Whenever man's laws defy, go against, contradict God's laws, we are not obligated, as Christians, to follow them. We are to follow God's laws above man's laws. This is something that's coming, becoming much, much more common 
nowadays. I don't intend for this to be a political discussion by any means, but it's important to understand that there is a hierarchy of laws, and we must always remember that God's laws outweigh and overrule man's laws. When a law or decree of any kind or an order is issued by a government authority that conflicts with the clear will and law of God, we have an obligation to, number one, speak up. Point out, hey, this is wrong. This does not agree with what the Bible says. Alright? And number two, we are to obey God with respect to that situation. Nowhere is this more clearly stated how a situation like this is to be handled than by the apostles. And we, we touched on this, believe it or not, in Sunday school as well, Acts 5.29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Now, I don't know about you, but there's not a whole lot of gray area in that statement. That is very direct, very pointed, and very easy to understand. Because recall from Sunday school, they were commanded not to preach the gospel. They were told not to go into the synagogues and teach Jesus Christ. And the minute they got released, what did they do? They went and preached the gospel in the synagogues. Because they knew that God's commands were overruled man's commands. And they did not fear any kind of repercussion or consequence because they knew that if that happened, that they were still obeying God, that God was in control, and whatever their fate was, was God's will. And this is very similar to what we find with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Now, unfortunately, we're coming to a time when this will become more and more an issue. Government overreach in the churches has already begun in some areas. It will become more prominent as time goes along. There was a case recently, within the last few weeks, of a lady in England who was standing across the street from an abortion clinic and prayed silently. Prayed silently, mind you, and was arrested for doing so. Because they had passed laws that this was an, a means of intimidation for people that were trying to go to this abortion clinic. So we already see in some areas where simply praying quietly, praying to their God quietly, was being outlawed effectively. And when they asked her what was she doing, she didn't hesitate to tell them. She wasn't worried because she knew God had led her to pray for the ladies that were trying to go to this clinic. She did not hesitate to tell them because she knew that she was obeying God rather than men and she wasn't going to fear the consequences. But this shows you how governments around the world, and our government's not far behind, I'm telling you, in this respect. The governments are starting to encroach upon God's laws, the church's rights. And we're going to be in a position soon, I think, where doing so, doing certain things, preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus Christ, may become something that gets us in trouble. And as our culture becomes even more demanding of acceptance of sexual immorality and other sinful behaviors, as the voice of God and His people comes under attack, this will become a reality for us. Something that we will face daily. We've been fortunate up until recently there have been few infringements into what goes on in our houses of worship, but I think we may have turned a corner on that with COVID, with the whole COVID thing. I think we saw some encroachment at that point. 
So here's the thing. We have got to stand on God's word. We have to stand firm on God's word and how he commands us to live. And this is exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing. God's word clearly states that we are to bow down and to worship to who? Him and only Him. Only God is worthy of our worship. We are not to bow to any other. And I'm sure this is what was strong in the minds of the Hebrew children when the king tried to intimidate the fall and make them follow his decree. <clears throat> and understand something. Death by fire is horrific. It is one of the more painful and unpleasant ways to go. And this is what they were facing. Yet still, with the flames of the furnace clearly and prominently thrust into their consciousness, and even with a comment slighting the power of God, this is how intimidated the three were. Did you catch their response here? They responded to the king by making this statement. They said, King, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Now, when you read that, you think, okay, that's kind of an interesting statement. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. This is a bold statement, though. And it's very interesting because today's equivalent is, shows the absolute steadfastness in their resolve. Because I'm going to put it in today's vernacular and put it in today's, like say it like we would today. And what they were saying was, King, we have no need to answer thee. We have no reason to answer you. And keep in mind, they were talking to a king when they said this. We have no need to answer you. Meaning, we're not even going to respond to your demands. Think about that for, that for a second. I don't think it was said, meant to be disrespectful or with a disrespectful intent. But the point of it was that they were so determined in their response that there was no need for debate or discussion. They weren't going to de debate it. They weren't going to discuss it. They were simply going to tell the king, sorry, we can't do it. We're not going to have a discussion about it. We're simply not going to obey. You see, they had an absolute confidence in the power of God. It didn't matter who they were talking to. It didn't matter the consequences they were facing. They had full confidence in the power of God over the circumstances and the situation. Their faith was grounded in the knowledge that God is omnipotent. And He is. When we face the challenges of a godless and sinful society that is trying to intimidate us or silence us into outright obedience, disobedience to God, we need to remember that very same thing. We need to have confidence in the power of God. There is so much that can be threatened, perhaps even carried out by those who would have us to violate our beliefs. But the reality is twofold. One, just as Jesus reminded Pilate, that they have no power over us that God does not allow. Remember that. Nobody has power over you that God does not allow. And two, if God chooses, He has absolute power and authority, and He can prevent anything from happening He chooses, no matter how determined man might be. Meaning, I don't care how determined, resolute, steadfast that man thinks that he's going to be about doing something, God can still step in and intervene when he wants to. And there ain't thing one that mankind can do about it. Remember the words in 1 Chronicles 29.11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory 
And the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. Thou art exalted as head above all. Above all. What a verse. Remember, our God is sovereign and omnipotent. We should never allow ourselves to feel like things are out of his hands or he does not have the ability to deliver us from whatever circumstance or situation we might find ourselves in, particularly if it's the result of obedience to him over man's loss. But what if he doesn't deliver us? What if God chooses not to step in and intervene? And that's yet another thing we see in the words of the three Hebrews that teaches us something. And that brings us to the second point, and that is contentment with the will of God. Contentment with the will of God. The initial statement made in their response, no doubt, is bold. It shows confidence. God is in control, and he has the power to overrule you. In fact, stop your plans altogether, king. But... Does he always choose to overrule the consequences of our circumstances? Particularly when it's a direct result of our disobedience to him? I think we all know the answer to that question, and that's no. He does not. And this is where it is important to find contentment and peace with the will of God. Remember that God's will is not always what we want. And his sovereign plans oftentimes do not align with what we might consider to be the right and justified outcome for a given situation. Surrender to His will is what gives us peace in those circumstances. Knowing that His plans are right, His plans are proper and perfect, even when it means we don't get the outcome we want. Let me share a story with you. Uh, by, it was shared by Philip Yancey in his book, Where's God When It Hurts? And he tells the story of a man by the name of Brian Sternberg. He was a nationally acclaimed track star, and he held several records in pole vault, pole vault competition. The 1963 season, when Brian was 19 years old, held unbelievable success. He made sports headlines every week. He remained undefeated in outdoor competition, and he set his first world record. Excitement and thrills embellished the spring and summer for the Sternbergs. Then, three weeks after Brian had set his last world record, everything changed. On July the 2nd, 1963, while working out on the trampoline in preparation for the U.S. track team's tour of Russia, Brian landed on his neck. There was a crack, and then all feeling and movement in his arms and legs were gone. Now, Brian Sternberg was a Christian, and his faith was put to the test. He faced a crisis that threatened to leave him a quadriplegic for the rest of his life confined to a wheelchair. This is after being a, a nationally acclaimed athlete. Brian had faith that God could and would heal his paralysis. Now, years later, he is still paralyzed. Did his faith fail? Did he not have enough faith? Did God make a mistake? Did God forsake his child? Less than a year after the accident, Brian was asked to write an article for Look Magazine. He ended with these powerful words that describe a biblical view of faith. Having faith is a necessary step towards one of two things. Being healed is one of them. Peace of mind, if healing does not come, is the other. Either one will suffice. Philip Yancey went to visit Brian ten years after the accident. Things had changed. He had been convinced by well-meaning Christians that since God loved him, God wanted him to walk again. 
They convinced him that if it was just had enough faith, he could stand up and walk away from his wheelchair. In Brian's mind, faith now meant that there remained not two options for God, but only one. And that was complete healing. Only complete healing would suffice. He was putting his faith in faith. Some were amazed at the great faith of this young man who still said God would heal them. Others said he lacked faith or would already be healed. Yet the fact remained that when Philip Yancey left the house of Brian Sternberg, he sensed the mood of an uncomplete, uncomfortable struggle mixed with tough, undying faith. As Brian struggled to find enough human faith, he forgot that God is sovereign and he lost his peace of mind. By putting his faith, his confidence, in merely one path that he felt, or he was convinced by others, he took God's will out of his, God's hands and determine what God's path should be. And it's important to understand that strength of faith does not translate to achieving the desired outcome of a trial. Our faith does not dictate the outcome. Our faith dictates the peace we have with whatever outcome God chooses. Strength of faith is what brings us peace and acceptance when that outcome is not what we desired. Listen to the words uh, again of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where they said, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Did you get that? Did you pick up on their confidence in God? They said, God has the power to deliver us. But even if He chooses not to, we're not going to obey you. We're going to obey God. It might be easy to miss the reading, but notice how incredibly accepting they are about the possibility of a negative outcome to their obedience to God. But if not, they say, recognizing the reality that God might not spare them from the fires of the furnace. That God might allow them to leave this world as a result of their disobedience of the king. They didn't tarry on the possibility, just clear acceptance and peace with whatever outcome the Lord chose. Now let's be honest, no one wants to suffer. I don't think there's anyone in here who says, yeah, sure, I'll suffer. No problem. I volunteer. And the idea of suffering as a result of doing what's right, of being obedient to God, seems actually contrary in our minds to what's right and justified. We think that obeying, obeying God should bring about a good outcome, the kind of outcome that we want. But we've got to remember something. We live in a fallen world. A world which is becoming more and more hostile to the truth and the embodiment of the truth, God himself. It's the reality of the world that we live in, unfortunately. The Bible speaks of how there will be a time where many will call evil good and good evil. And I think we've already seen that. We have already seen where that has flipped. We're now obeying God in certain aspects. The society is saying, that's a bad thing. That is evil. But doing these things that society says is okay, but go against God? Oh, that's a good thing. We've got to follow. So that has already happened. It has already flipped. 
Doing what's right in today's world doesn't always bring about good consequence from our perspective, particularly when it comes to things of God. Honestly, I've seen more hostility and open hostility directed at houses and people of God in the last six months than I have most of my life. But like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, we have must nevertheless stand firm and resolutely gird ourselves to be willing to accept whatever consequence our obedience to God brings. Why, though, would we be okay with negative consequences, negative outcomes? Why would we be okay with that? Because it's the will of God. If God allows it, it's His will. Once again, God, nothing happens that God doesn't allow. Nothing is outside His sovereign will and power. We find acceptance with God's will because we know it is always best. And to do this, we've got to be able to look beyond ourselves. That's a hard thing to do sometimes, isn't it? To look beyond ourselves to God and His will and His purposes. We don't want to suffer. I get that. And I'm with you. I don't want to either. I don't like pain. It's not something that I cherish or relish the thought of. But remember, we are just a tiny part in God's plan, a plan to bring about His purposes and bring glory to Him and expand His kingdom. Even Jesus demonstrated for us this struggle, the idea of an unpleasant outcome in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22-42, where He says, saying, Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thine be done. Jesus understood that the separation between Him and the Father was going to occur, and that was a very unpleasant thing. But even with the recognition of those circumstances, those unpleasant circumstances, he said, God, let your will be done. If there was ever a case of an unfair, unjustified consequence of obedience to God, it was the one that Jesus faced. He followed the will of God, so they crucified him. And facing the inevitable consequence that he knew was awaiting him, his humanity desired another way. But ultimately, he knew that God's will was sovereign and, that he, and, and in that he found his peace. We should act in a similar fashion when we are faced with negative outcomes, the obedience to God. God certainly has the power to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, I will still worship and obey him. We should have that mindset just as Shadrach, and Abednego, uh, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego did. And lastly, we should have consistency. Consistency in our commitment to God. This is an area I tend to see the Christian community slipping more so lately than usual. Let's look at some of the approaches that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have taken. And their approaches could have taken many different avenues. Some would approach it in terms of culture. The Babylonians aren't going to understand the laws of our God. And we don't want to offend the culture and ruin our witness. So we'll bow now so that they'll listen to us later. Anyway, nobody will know We'll, nobody that we know will see us. Meaning we're going to conform so that they'll listen to us later. Now, does that sound like something that we see in certain Christian circles today? Let's embrace some of the ideas of our society that are contrary to God so that they, we appear more accepting and that they'll listen to our message. We see that today, don't we? 
Some others would consider forgiveness. We have a loving God who is slow to anger and quick to forgive. So we'll bow down just this one time and then ask for forgiveness. God is more understanding and forgiving than these Babylonians. That's taking the easy way. Let's make it easy on us, even though it means disobeying God. Some might consider making a silent protest. Well, we'll kneel on the outside, but we'll be standing and worshiping the true God on the inside in our hearts. God will certainly understand. Maybe we need to put it more into today's context of compromise. Everyone else is doing it, so it's probably best not to make waves and go along with it for now. I really like my job and I need to pay the bills, so I probably should go along with these rules that make me violate God's beliefs. I don't want people to think that I'm arrogant or that I think I'm somehow better than others, so I'm not going to say anything. That way I'll still have an opportunity to be an effective witness. You see how today the application of these excuses, these ways of saying, well, I'm going to go along with man and his laws, and God will surely understand. There's still disobedience to God. No matter how we paint it, no matter how we color it, those, all those attitudes, all those mindsets are still disobeying God. And we can't color it any other way. But understand something absolutely critical. Never, never is it okay to compromise your faith for any reason. Biblical faith does not compromise God's sovereign laws because faith is obedience. Biblical faith has the assurance to say, I know my God is able to deliver me. It has the confidence to say, I believe that my God will deliver me. But it also has a willingness of submission to say, but even if he does not, I will still trust him. Even if he chooses not to deliver me, I will put my trust in him. Remember the words of Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him? Job says, I am going through the worst possible time of my life. I couldn't even imagine this. But you know what? Even with that, I'm going to trust God. And just as a reminder, compromise in the name of supposedly keeping your opportunity to witness is really just an excuse to give in to the flesh. That's tantamount to saying, I need to act like everyone else so that I'll be, they'll be more accepting of me and willing to listen to what I have to say. That's nonsense. Someone once said that the problem with churches today is that they have brought the world in to be more inviting to the world. They have allowed the world into the church to try to make themselves look more appealing. A similar observation can be made regarding Christians themselves. We have become more like the world under the guise of implying that that would make us more accepted and thus more heard. But we have not been called to be like the world, folks. We have not been called to act, to obey man's laws over God's laws. We are not who moves on individuals with our witnesses anyway. It's the Holy Spirit. We don't need to play games in order to make people more accepting of Jesus Christ because it's not us that's going to convince them. It's the Holy Spirit. And to imply He can't work unless we make ourselves more like the world is ridiculous. The time has come and it's here for us to stand resolute in God's word and his commands so be obedient to our faith, regardless of the world's, culture's, or nation's positions on the talking points of the day. Even if it means staring into the flames of a fiery furnace. And if we choose 
to obey God and we find ourselves in that position just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God will join us in those flames, either to comfort and protect us or to comfort us and welcome us home. Because God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. We need to start living like we really believe that. We need to start living like we have total faith and confidence in God's sovereignty, His power, and His promise. Because as a Christian, God has made some awesome promises to us. Never leave thee nor forsake thee. Nothing we face, we face alone. Nothing we face is outside God's power and His sovereignty. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't belong to the Lord, you're at the mercy of the world. You're at the mercy of whatever happens to you in this world and your end is going to be worse than anything you could ever face in this world. Because you live a life with no hope. You live a life with the, the constant threat of the condemnation that you already carry with you. The Bible says that if we don't believe that we're condemned already. We walk through life with a death sentence. A spiritual death sentence. The Bible says that that's wages of sin or death. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you carry that death sentence through you with you through eternity. And we'll face the consequences, we'll experience that punishment in the end. But it doesn't have to be that way. You see, it's very simple. The Bible says if we'll confess our sins before God and believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross, took on the sins of the world, paid the price that we couldn't pay, died for us, and rose again three days later, we can be saved. And we can lay claim to the confidence that God has our best interests in mind. God is going to be sovereign no matter what, and we can have faith and confidence in that. Why would you want to live life walking around with a death sentence when you could walk around life with peace and joy that rises above anything that you could face, even when that's the fiery furnace? It's a simple choice, and it's not made up here. It's made down here. The choice is up to you. Let's stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Fathers, we come before your throne this morning. We are grateful that we have had this time together, Lord. We thank you for your word and the confidence that it inspires in us, Lord. Truly, you are an awesome and mighty God, Lord. Uh, help us to live our lives knowing that you are in control of everything that occurs. And Lord, in the times where we face those fiery furnaces and, and the outcomes are not what we would desire, Lord, help us to have the confidence in knowing that you are with us and that this is your will and that whatever the outcome is, we know it's for our good, Lord, and that we just we gracefully walk through those fires uh, knowing that you're with us. And Lord, if there's anybody here today that has never made that decision, declared you as the Lord and Savior of their lives, Lord, let them make that decision today before it is everlasting too late. And Lord, we love you and praise you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next time for another Walk in God's Word. 
Podcasts are available in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, CastBox, Downcast, and Beyond Pod. Search for and subscribe to Providence Baptist Church Space Hyphen Space Gaston Sermons. Until next time, may God bless you as we await his joyful return. Hi, this is John Friedrich, pastor of Providence Baptist Church. It's my prayer that our time together has helped you grow in your walk with God, or maybe he's even used it to guide you to discover the wonderful gift of salvation. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to come worship with us. Our address is Providence Baptist Church, 977 Metafield Road, Gaston, South Carolina, 29053. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through our website at www.providencembcgaston.com or email us at providencembcgaston at gmail.com. Again, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next time as we take a walk in the Word.